Well, last week we started a new sermon series called Shepherd of My Soul, a reflection on Psalm 23. So the, uh, the context behind this or the backdrop uh, of the story or of the series is, um, hang, on, hang on one second. Sorry, somebody was unmuted and we could hear you over here. Um, so the, the, the backdrop or the, the backstory of this series is, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our collective life can kind of feel a bit out of control right now. <laughs> um, in some ways, like on the darkest of days, it can feel like things are like breaking and burning all around us. And as I sat with that and realized like, it's probably not just me, it's probably many, if not most of us, um, Maybe the best thing for us to do is to go to like, you know, the, the greatest hits of scripture and spend some time like, uh, tending to our souls, but not just like us tending to our souls, but really like opening ourselves up and allowing God, our shepherd, to do some tending to our souls. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, and as we get ready to, to jump into that, um, would you uh, say a word of prayer with me? Loving God, our shepherd, we are so grateful for this chance to to gather together on this beautiful fall day. God, we're grateful for um, the gift of technology that allows us to gather both in person and in our homes. And God, more than technology, we are all the more grateful for your spirit that meets us here in person and through uh, the technology in our homes. God, we acknowledge that your spirit is here among us and we open ourselves up to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us and shape us and form us uh, as we wrestle with the scriptures today. Lead us and shape us and guide us and form us into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you ever um, poured your heart out to somebody? Like really like opened yourself up and exposed your soul to them? Um, Maybe this uh, sharing was uh, talking about the loss of a loved one. Uh, maybe a, a parent or a spouse or a sibling, a friend, or maybe even the loss of a child. Or maybe this uh, pouring your heart out was talking about uh, some financial troubles that you're going through. Um, that as you look at the checkbook, like there's, there's more money that needs to go out than there is money coming in. Or maybe there's some concern that the lights won't be on at the end of the month. Or maybe you won't even have a place to live at the end of the month. Maybe this sharing um, was about a particularly like difficult season of life, a particularly frustrating season of life. Maybe uh, at your job or the developmental stage of a child. Um, and as you're uh, talking with somebody, pouring out your heart, um, opening yourself up and exposing your soul, they respond with maybe the three most frustrating uh, words in the English language. Well, at least. <laughs> well, at least uh, you had a parent that you love that uh, you miss once they, they've died. Or, uh, well, at least your situation isn't quite as bad as those people on that side of town. Or, well, at least um, you have a job to be frustrated with, right? If you've ever experienced a response of, well, at least to like this pouring out your heart, you know that there's all sorts of things happening within you, right? There's a bit of frustration, maybe a bit of anger, maybe a bit of resentment, maybe a bit of animosity. But I think uh, deeper than all of that, there's this sense of disconnection. 
Because in that moment, as we're uh, pouring our heart out, as we've opened ourselves up and are exposing our soul to, to one another, we're feeling a bit of disconnection and we're longing for some sort of connection with the other person that we're sharing with. And when there's this response of, well, at least, it seems in that moment to at least like sever any potential of connection with that person. Now, this, this uh, response of, well, at least, comes from what we might call like a sympathetic response. <laughs> and a sympathetic response uh, is almost always done with like good intentions, right? Um, it's, it's trying to find some level of like comfort in the midst of whatever has just been poured out on us. But no matter how uh, well our intentions are, a sympathetic response almost always falls short. I think this is because the, the posture behind a, a sympathetic response is one that says, I'm here for you. And this may seem like a, a bit of a semantics thing of being for somebody, but I think there's, there's real power in language and it, it shapes our attitude and our actions towards one another. And so when it comes to a, a posture of I'm here for you, what that says is like, I'm on the sidelines and you're dealing with whatever, <laughs> but I'm here for you, but I'm not in it with you. And as I remain on the sidelines for you, um, I remain a bit safe and a bit disconnected from whatever the situation is that you find yourself in. And as a result of remaining disconnected from whatever situation you find yourself in, um, I remain a bit disconnected from you. But in that moment, as we're pouring out our heart, as we've opened ourselves up and we're exposing our soul to one another, we're not looking for more disconnection because again, that's what we've already been experiencing and that's why we're reaching out. We're looking for not a sympathetic response, we're looking for an empathetic response. And an empathetic response leads not to disconnection, but to connection. According to uh, Brene Brown, uh, one of the most simple ways of uh, parsing out the difference between sympathy and empathy is again, sympathy says I'm here for you, whereas empathy says I'm here with you. And again, this may just seem like a semantic sort of thing, but again, I think language really does shape um, our posture and our actions towards one another. And so uh, where sympathy is almost like a handout for the journey, right? It remains on the sidelines and as somebody's walking th past on this journey of disconnection that they find themselves in, it acts like a handout of well wishes and silver linings and says, here you go, here's some good well wishes, be on your journey. Whereas empathy doesn't remain on the sidelines, but empathy steps into the journey and wraps their arm around the person who's just shared and says, I'm a companion with you on this journey. Sympathy can often be a, a handout for the journey, whereas empathy uh, serves as a companion for the journey. So think about um, a, a difficult moment in your life. Um, a, a moment or a season where you felt some level of disconnection. And think about, think about the, the ways that you shared that with one another and think, or with, with another person and think about the ways in which that other person uh, chose to respond to that, that sharing on your part. Um, think about some of the, the more uh, helpful ways and the more meaningful ways that people responded to that. But think about some of the like less than helpful and less than meaningful ways that people responded to that. Now I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm going to make a huge assumption here. But my assumption is that more than, often than not, the less helpful, less meaningful ways 
came from a sympathetic response. It began with something like, well, at least, or offered some sort of silver lining or offered up some sort of well wishes for the journey. But, uh, but the more helpful and the more meaningful responses probably came from an empathetic response, a willingness to like step into the mess and into the, the, the disconnection with you in order to bring about some sort of connection. As I think about uh, a really difficult uh, season of my life, a, a period of disconnection, uh, it came when my mom died. And this was like just shy of two years after um, my dad had died. And this was a moment where like everything in my life felt disconnected. <laughs> I felt disconnected from my mom who had just died. Um, I felt disconnected from my home because I knew that I was going to have to move. I felt disconnected from my school. I felt disconnected from my friends. I felt disconnected from like everything that I knew for like the last 17 years of my life. And this happened towards the end of my junior year, and as I headed back to school for the last few days, uh, I was greeted with like this really generous and really gracious gift by um, my classmates. I got this giant card, and it had some sort of poem on it, and um, most of my classmates signed it and wrote some sort of message on it. And again, this was a really generous, really gracious gift, and it was really meaningful, and like I'm pretty sure it's still in the basement of the parsonage somewhere. Um, but had that been the only response that I had received, um, that would have been really, like, lacking. <laughs> I would have felt like I needed more in my life. The things that like carried me through that season of disconnect were the people that called me, that showed up at my house, that stayed connected with me for that next year, that next two years, those next three years as I continued to process through what life would look like without this person in my life. See, in that moment, I didn't need uh, well wishes. What I needed was like a withness in my life. In that moment, I, I didn't want, I didn't long for, I didn't need sympathy, I didn't need more disconnect. But in that moment, what I wanted, what I longed for, what I needed was empathy. I needed connection in that season of disconnect. And as we begin to, to turn towards Psalm 23 this morning, I think we see in this psalm this universal longing, this universal cry for connection in the midst of disconnection. And thank goodness, um, that's what we find in this psalm. So last week we uh, looked at the, the opening few verses of Psalm 23. And we looked at this idea of Yahweh, this personal name for God. And how the psalmist here takes this, this immense idea of, of the God of creation and turns it into this intimate thing of this is my shepherd. This is the shepherd that will protect and provide for me. And we walked away with this idea that um, my soul is secure with my shepherd. But the psalmist now goes on and he begins to describe a bit of the, the situation that the psalmist finds himself in. And starting in verse 4, the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now think about that phrase, the darkest valley. This is a moment of like pain and suffering. This is a moment of loss. This is a moment of like disequilibrium. This is a moment of crisis. This is a moment of disconnect. This is that moment where it feels like things are out of control and the world is breaking and burning all around us. This is the moment where we get that phone call or that text that we were not expecting. This is the moment where uh, we open up the news and we see that headline that we had dreaded for far too long. 
This is the moment where we have that argument with our boss or with our spouse and we know that the next few months, if not the next few years, are going to be dealing with the fallout from that conversation. This is a moment where we feel this loneliness, where we feel this disconnection and we're longing for this to be resolved. Now the psalmist goes on and he writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, which, I'll be honest, feels a bit audacious. <laughs> because anytime I found myself in the darkest valley, I am certainly fearing the evil that brought me there. <laughs> but I think the psalmist here understands something that I often forget in the midst of the darkest valley. Because the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. In the midst of this darkest valley, in the midst of the pain and suffering and loneliness, in the midst of the disconnection, in the midst of the, the feelings of things being out of control, in the midst of things breaking and burning all around him, what does the psalmist find? Not more disconnection, but connection. The psalmist in that moment finds God with him. And I think uh, the psalmist here recognizes something that, again, I, I forget when I find myself in the darkest valley, and that is that God is not immune from the darkest valley. God is not immune from the dark and difficult places of our life. God is not immune from the places of loneliness, the places of suffering, the pain, the, the moments of disconnection, but rather God shows up in unique and particular ways that we need God to show up in those moments. The psalmist here recognizes that if God can be the God of green pastures in the opening lines, that God too can be the God of the darkest valley in the middle lines here. Now all of this seems to be boiling up to this idea of you are with me, and commentators will note that um, like this is the, the central part of the psalm. It's uh, the central part of the psalm both like physically, like it's a halfway point, but it's also the central point like thematically and theologically as well. Like everything about this psalm revolves around this idea that you are with me. We might call this idea like divine empathy here, right? <laughs> A God who is willing to be with us in the midst of the darkest valleys that we find ourselves in. Uh, Brene Brown has um, a, a viral video uh, that talks about the difference between uh, sympathy and empathy. And in the video, uh, she offers this analogy where somebody falls into a hole. And the person in the, who has just fallen into the hole yells out and they say, Hey, it's dark down here. I'm overwhelmed. And she says, Sympathy walks up to the hole and looks down and goes, Whoa, it looks bad down there. And then continues on its way. But empathy, on the other hand, walks up to the hole, drops a ladder down, climbs down into the hole and says, I know it's dark down here. I know what it's like to be down here. You're no longer alone. Now, I watched that video again this past week and I thought, hmm, I don't want to call um, uh, plagiarism on Brene Brown, uh, but that sounds an awful lot like it's taken from Psalm 23, darn it. <laughs> because I think rather than falling into a hole, we could read that falling into a darkest valley. And here we have this divine empathy of a God who is willing to climb into that darkest valley and say, I know what it's like down here. I know that it's dark, but you're no longer alone for I am with you. Now, I think this idea of divine empathy isn't just something that we see um, 
in uh, like Psalm 23 or some of the, the best of hits of scripture, but I think we actually see this like at the core of who God is. Because I would suggest that what we see throughout the life of Jesus is like the embodiment of divine empathy. Because as we're told at the beginning of uh, the gospel according to Matthew, uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which is often a phrase that gets lost in like the, the blinking white lights of Christmas. And often gets removed in like the, the warm fuzzies of God with us. But if God is with us at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, I think Matthew is wanting us to read God with us all throughout the trajectory of the gospel. Which means that as Jesus finds himself hanging on the cross, that this too is God with us. And as uh, Jesus, who is God in flesh, is crying out the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That this too is God with us. What we see in the life of Jesus is God willing to go to the darkest valley, God forsaken as death itself, as an act of divine uh, empathy to show us just how far God is willing to go to be with us. The cross, if nothing else, is an act of divine empathy to show us just how willing God is willing to go to be with us. Now the, the psalm, uh, or the, the verse finishes like this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now if we think about this shepherd imagery, like a rod and a staff is like a, it's a protective measure, right? It's, it's a, a symbol of like power and might. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week. Um, I've, I've been praying Psalm 23 uh, most days for like the last seven months now. And about a weekend, I, I wanted to memorize it um, because, well, logistically, I didn't want to have to keep grabbing my Bible when it came up in my liturgy. But uh, more deeper than that, like I wanted it to like actually take root within me. Um, and after I had uh, memorized it and I was about a week into this, I began to notice that I had this tendency of as I was praying it, of saying, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you notice what I missed there? <laughs> and at first I thought, oh, this was just a mental lapse. Like I jumped from darkest valley to power and might. But the more I sat with this, the more I began to realize, like, I think that this is a tendency in my life as well. Like when I find myself in the darkest valley, I want to jump over the idea of God being with me. And I want to jump to the power and might. But as I've sat with this, I can't help but wonder, if indeed um, the power and might of God is not rooted in the empathy of God. I can't help but wonder if the power and might that we long for with God actually comes from this idea of God being with us in the darkest valley. And when I find myself in the darkest valley and I want God to show up looking kind of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and bring the hammer down, right? When I find myself in the darkest valley, like maybe the thing that I don't need isn't the the divine fire and lightning from heaven, but maybe what I need most in the darkest valley is the God who stepped into the darkest valley as an act of divine uh, empathy and who was able to overcome death itself as an act of power and might so that one day I might be able to experience that same sort of overcoming of death itself. 
So I want to suggest that the beauty and the um, essence of uh, this verse 4 in Psalm 23 is this idea that God doesn't sympathize for us, but that God empathizes with us. God doesn't sympathize for us, but that God empathizes with us. And I think that this is such an important thing as we think about the character and nature of God, because what we have is not a God who sits on the sidelines and offers us handouts on this journey through the darkest valley. It's not a God who offers us silver linings or well at least or well wishes, but it's a God who steps into the darkest valley, who wraps God's arm around us and journeys with us through the darkest valley into a place of healing and wholeness. And if you've ever been in a, a darkest, one of the darkest valleys, um, there's all sorts of questions that come to mind. And I recognize that um, this idea of God being with us, this idea of God empathizing with us, doesn't answer all of the why questions. Why the darkest valley? Why this pain? Why this suffering? But I do think that this idea of God empathizing with us does answer a rather important question along those lines. And that's the question of, where? Where is God? Where is God in the midst of this darkest valley? Where is God in the midst of this pain and suffering? And I think the answer to that question is staring us back, and it's God saying, I am right here. As one uh, Christian historian has noted, Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event the humiliation of its God. What we have in in the cross is Jesus willing to go to the extent of death itself, the darkest of valleys, as an act of divine empathy. And it's through this divine empathy that we can tap into the power and might of God to experience the little resurrections of our day-to-day -day life, but also this grand resurrection of overcoming sin and death and darkness itself one day. So I want to offer to us um, a practice for this week. And the practice is another breath prayer. Um, and uh, a breath prayer, again, uh, is just a, a short, portable sort of prayer that we can pair with our breathing. And the reason why uh, I want to offer us another uh, breath prayer is, again, the, the, the context of this series is this feeling of, like, things are out of control, things are breaking, things are burning all around us. And often these feelings will lead us to things like anxiety and stress. And I don't know about you, but when I experience anxiety and stress, my breath is one of the first things to go. <laughs> and what a beautiful way of com combating this like shortness of breath um, than like pairing it with uh, a breath prayer of sorts. So the breath prayer is this. It comes directly from the psalm. You are with me. You are are with me. Last week, uh, our breath prayer was, um, my soul is secure with my shepherd, which uh, acts as like a confessional sort of prayer, right? This is acknowledging the way that the mental furniture in my head is organized. But notice that there's this shift in the psalm, and so there's a shift in our, our breath prayer as well, that it's no longer confessional about God, but now it's professional to like professing something to God. It's no longer about what I think God is like, but now it's like crying out to God. And one is helpful for like centering our mind, but another is helpful in centering our hearts. And so the breath prayer of you are with me. 
And so this week, um, as you find yourself in the midst of the darkest valley, um, maybe those memories from that event flood to mind. Um, Maybe uh, you are looking at your checkbook and realizing that things just might not work itself out. Um, Or uh, just finding yourself in a season that feels like it's never going to end. This prayer is right there. You are with me. We are not alone. God is with us in the midst of that. But I don't think this has to be reserved for the darkest valleys either. I think it can be reserved for like ordinary valleys, like a Wednesday afternoon when Friday feels forever away, right? (laughs) I think if God is with us in the darkest of valleys, I think God's also with us in the most mundane of valleys of a Wednesday afternoon longing for the weekend too. And so even there, you are with me. Friends, it's my prayer that we would remember that at the heart and the, the nature and the character of God is that God doesn't sympathize for us, but that God empathizes with us, and that it's actually this divine empathy that is the power and might of God. And my prayer is that we would open ourselves up and allow this power and might of this divine empathy to speak to us, and that as we experience God with us in the midst of whatever we find ourselves going through, that we would begin to experience the healing and wholeness that comes from the God who is with us. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that um, you are God with us, that you're not a God that uh, sympathizes for us, but that you're a God that empathizes with us. And God, that as we find ourselves in the darkest valleys, you don't just offer us handouts, but that you offer us companionship and that you are God with us in that journey. God, so I pray uh, that in this next week and in this coming season and in the years ahead, um, that the words of the psalmist would be readily available to us. And that as we're feeling disconnection creep into our lives, that we can find... uh, an anchor of sorts in these words, you are with me. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.